we are actually still going through the book of Revelation, and I'm trying to get through this book, so I thought I'm going to use the next verse we're on to kick off the Christmas message and uh, tie it into, even though we're Revelation, the name of this message is called Christmas in Genesis, and I know that's kind of a strange name, but you'll see what I mean in a minute. I think some of it's John Heber's fault, which I'll probably explain in a minute, uh, but uh, I, I think you'll be really blessed. The, the best gifts sometimes are the hardest gifts to unwrap. You know, usually if someone gets you something really special, I know that's how I've been, you know, growing up. And if it's even a small gift, I'll, I'll make it kind of difficult to unwrap. So it's a little bit more exciting when you finally get to it. Uh, maybe not a piece of gum or something, but something better, right? Uh, and I don't know, that was just my habit through the years now that I think about it. But the hardest gifts sometimes are the hardest ones to unwrap. And I could give you just some simple verses. Uh, last week we got together and some of the best messages are just simple scriptures. Uh, we went through Isaiah 7 about how a virgin would give birth to a child. Verbal prophecy through Isaiah. His name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And we went through Isaiah 9 and how his name would be wonderful, right? Counselor, you know, mighty God, all these wonderful names the government would sit on his shoulders. Went through a lot of scriptures, uh, a lot of the titles of Jesus in regard to the prophecies about his birth and uh, I was blessed. I know others were blessed just looking at his names and who he is and so forth. This, me- this one will be harder to unpack. You just have to pay attention and listen because I'm gonna, I, I, instead of having 20, 25 pages of notes, which I sometimes have, I think I have like 13 or 14, and I'm going to go at a, just a decent pace. But when you unwrap this, uh, you'll be blown away because you'll see that we say sometimes history is his story. And indeed it is. History is all about Jesus ultimately. But to me, there's a double entendre there. There's a double meaning there for me personally because there's verbal prophecy, which talks about how he'll be born in Bethlehem. You know, uh, the scriptures that reveal that he'll be birthed and even killed before the temple would be destroyed, which happened. So only Jesus fits the bill of all these prophecies and all these other verbal prophecies But there's also not just verbal, but there's typological prophecies. Prophecies we see uh, in types, that is, in the events or in the personages or in the historical uh, stories that had taken place in the past that actually point to Jesus. They foreshadow Jesus. And Jesus becomes the antitype of the type. They're types, they're figurines, they're foreshadowings, showing Jesus in life, showing his birth, showing his crucifixion, showing his resurrection over and over and over and over again through the scripture. And then in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the antitype. He's the fulfillment of those prophetic typologies. And if certainly there's typologies more than of Jesus, there's typologies even of antichrist in the Old Testament. But the glorious types I love to focus on the most are the pictures of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, when I said blame John for this message a little bit, we had an elders meeting about a week ago or so, and as we're getting to leave the office, uh, John goes, you know, I was reading in Genesis, you know, uh, the story of Jacob and Esau, and Jacob taking Esau's birthright, you know, where he dresses up like Esau, and he snatches his birthright, and he goes, I know there's something really deep going on there, so I just want to encourage you to, you know, uh, do a study on that and just, you know, get into the deep, what, whatever you think's going on there. And I told John, did I get that about right, John? 
Yeah, and I told John, I go, you know what? I'd love to do that. In fact, I pretty much know where I'd go with that. Now, he didn't say for Christmas, the Christmas service. He just said it in the future. But I love that picture of Jacob. And when you look at books on typology and so forth, or you look at studies of typology, usually they'll just go over Jacob. Jacob's not usually considered a type, a picture. In fact, if you see something that deals with typology and Jacob, usually it'll be the stairway to heaven that God shows where it's a picture of Christ in John 1. Remember that in John 1 where the angels are ascending and descending on Jesus? And, and Jesus talks to, you know, reveals that that stairway represented him. And of course, that stairway to heaven, it's not us building a stairway to heaven like they did at the Tower of Babel, amen? Us climbing our way to heaven. It's God coming down to us amen. to save us by grace, amen? amen. Because that you could climb a stairway to heaven and work your way is a lie. So that's usually what you'll see typologically if you do see something. I've got different books on typology and almost every one of them skips Jacob and sometimes they'll bring up that if they even bring Jacob up because Jacob seems like the last candidate as a picture of Jesus because he was such a weasel at times, right? I mean, his name means supplanter, heel snatcher, Jacob, you know? And, he, and, he, and you know, he's a picture of us before we get saved, right? Needing God's forgiveness, needing God's mercy. And he's like, how could God even save this guy? Well, Esau was pretty bad too, right? <laughs> and guess what? All of us are sinners. We all need God's grace, amen? So Jacob, we think of more of as a picture of us, slimy people before we find Jesus and he changes our hearts, amen? But Jacob is one of the most fantastical types of Jesus in the Bible, I believe. Genesis is packed. My conviction, I could be totally wrong on this, but Genesis has more pictures of Jesus than any book in the Old Testament. It happens to be the very first book written. Maybe Job was written before Genesis. That's disputed. We really can't know. But it was written about 3,500 years ago by Moses. And the types and pictures of Jesus are astounding. I mean, we spent several weeks, I don't know, five or six weeks in Genesis, the first few verses of pictures of Jesus in the first chapter of Genesis, the first few verses, Chad and I, when we were doing uh, the Good Fight radio show, and we changed our, instead of doing four a week, we started doing one a week. Now we're two a week again. And so we just got off the typology because we realized, man, we won't get through Genesis. Maybe I'll be 80 years old when we're done with Genesis. That's like 45 years from now, you know? No, it's not. <laughs> it's actually like 21 years from now. I'm getting old, you know? But it's, it's crazy because there's, it's packed. Adam was a picture of Christ. Eve was a picture of the church. You know, you've seen that. When I do weddings, we talk about that. You know, Adam being put in a deep sleep, taken out, Eve's taken from his side, all that. There's all these pictures. The days of creation point to Jesus' salvation in Christ. Tohu wabohu, and then every day is a picture of God's process of salvation. It's just a blow mind. And Abraham bringing up Isaac, right? To the Mount Moriah, the same place Christ be crucified. And Isaac carrying the wood on his back is a picture of Jesus who carried the wood on his back. Joseph being rejected by his brethren who make up the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Picture of Israel rejecting Jesus, throwing him in a pit, giving him the Gentiles, some of the Gentiles. Jesus being thrown in a pit, Caiaphas' courtyard, being given over to the Gentiles, amen? Jesus rising, Joseph rising the right hand of Pharaoh, feeding the world the bread of physical life. Jesus right, right hand of Father, feeding the, the world, the bread of life. We take communion as a picture of what Jesus gave from us, gave for us the bread from heaven, amen? It's just, and Joseph's like several chapters long of pictures of Jesus. He becomes the savior of the world, a picture of Jesus, the ultimate savior of the world, amen? amen. And Joseph's easy to pick out pictures. He's, probably, he's my favorite type. He's like several chapters long with several details. 
And, but, but God does use, and Joseph, you don't see sin in his life. He's one of the very few people in the Old Testament, Daniel being another, that you actually don't see sin in their lives. Of course, they were sinful, all have sinned, but it shows them as being paragons of virtue, as types. But God also uses, he uses everybody. They were still sinners, but he uses guys like Samson, remember? Samson carries the Philistine gates, right? Takes them away, a picture of Jesus taking the gates of hell, overcoming the gates of hell. Samson's between, two, when he dies, he, he's in the shape of a cross, right? Pulls down these two pillars on the head of the Philistines, amen? And more people, it says, were destroyed in his death than in his life. But guess what? Jesus on the cross, more people were saved through his death than through his life, amen? And he's a radical picture. He's betrayed, just as Samson was betrayed by Delilah for money, he's betrayed by Judas. There's all these incredible pictures and God uses people like Samson as pictures because God is a master artist, amen? amen. He, just, he uses fallen people. But people, they kind of stay away from Samson sometimes as a type, but he's a powerful type. We had a message, I don't know, a year ago on Samson being this powerful type. But Jacob is a powerful type of Jesus. And... When I think of God becoming a man and why he became a man to save us, Jacob is an astounding picture. And John's hunch, John's inclination, there's something going on here, you know? Joe, let's get to the bottom of it. <laughs> it's not how he said it. He just was just real sweet about it. But he goes, hey, really think about doing a message on this sometime. And, you know, and I touched on it long ago, years and years and years ago. I'm going to go a little deeper this time. So Revelation chapter 22, verse 14 because this verse, which we happen to be on in Revelation, we get two birds with one stone, really fits into what I want to talk about with Esau and with Christmas. All these three segue together. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Do you want to partake of the tree of life? Well, if you have a King James translation here, Sorry for you King James only people. I love the King James translation, but it's way off right here. It says, blessed are those who keep his commandments. The, the best manuscripts, that's from a very late manuscript, okay? Uh, and do we, do, we, do we enter in his gates because we keep his commandments? Is that how we get into heaven? No. That would be building our own stairway to heaven. No, you're blessed if your robes are washed, Amen. And according to Revelation 7, 9 through 14, when John sees this great multitude that no man can number from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue in the last days coming out of the great tribulation period, he asks, who are these? And he's told by the angel, these are those whose robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. We only get into heaven through the washing of our robes by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? We have no access to heaven apart from Jesus because he is the stairway that Jacob saw, as Jesus said to Nathaniel, you will see angels ascending and descending, not as Jacob did on a ladder, he says, but on the Son of Man. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And it's through his death on the cross to pay for our sins that our robes are washed. Otherwise, we're ugly and in our sins, and our filth is before God. And if we want to get into heaven on our own righteousness, man, it's not going to happen. It's only through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And there's so many pictures of this. This is a theme, you guys, from Genesis to Revelation. Remember we had a study where we looked at all the contrasts from the first few chapters of Genesis and the last few chapters of the book of Revelation where the curse is reversed, right? They're, they're kicked out of Eden. 
banished from the tree of life. Now look, they have access again to the tree of life and to God's holy presence, which is even better than eating. It's a city and it's a, it's a forest, you know, a stream coming out of God's throne with the tree of life on both sides. It's, everything's beautified. The curse is reversed. There's no more death. There's no more mourning. There's no more curse because Jesus reversed the curse. But it's interesting here. Blessed are those, which is the seventh beatitude, by the way. There's seven blessings in the book of Revelation. Seven's the number of completion. And you're blessed if your robes are washed. Those who have washed their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. And then in the next verse, you see the wicked and who comprises the wicked who will not be in the holy city, right? Those who are involved, you know, sorcerers and and if you put it with Revelation 21.8, it expands this list, liars and idolaters and those involved in pharmakeia, mind-expanding drugs, you know, porneo, fornication. And we'll look at that verse another time, but it's contrasted with those. And those are the guys with dirty robes that refuse to repent. Re- Revelation chapter 9, Revelation chapter 16, they repented not to give God glory. And they didn't turn from their, their fornications, their sorcery, all these things. They need to be repented of and washed. He that, you know, hides his sin, will not prosper. He that confesses them and forsakes them, he will be blessed. Amen? The book of Proverbs. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, they made their own clothes. Remember what they were? Fig leaves. They, they were perfect. They sinned. They became aware of their inner, their consciences bore witness that they were in rebellion to God. And there was something incredibly wrong even though they were the most perfect human beings, all of a sudden there was a sinfulness about them. They tried to cover their sin. They knew they were naked. Humans have a sense of shame because of our sin. And what did God do? Was God going to accept them on the basis of their own works covering up their sin? No, because their sins need to be taken away. We need more than a band-aid, amen? Amen. We need our sins to be taken away. And God killed an animal or more to give them garments to put over them, which would cover their sin. But these these sacrifices were mere coverings. They didn't take away sin. That's why the priest in the Old Testament later had to give sacrifices over and over and over again. And there was no seat they could sit down in the holy place or in the, why? Because there was no rest. They were constantly working. Even on the Sabbath, their work was even doubled. The, The priest didn't rest on the Sabbath day. They had to do even more sacrifices. It wasn't until Jesus died for our sins. Jesus, John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen? Amen. You put a trash can, a trash lid over your trash, right? Because it stinks. Amen? Amen? It covers it. But man, you're happy when the trash man finally takes it away. Amen? Especially if it's really stinky. And we're really stinky. Thank God Jesus came. Amen? He takes away our sins. Amen? That's why there, there's in, in God's holy holies, in the heaven of heavens, the third heaven, He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He said, it is finished. He took away our sins, amen? Okay, I'm at the first few paragraphs of page one. (laughs) I better just not ad-lib. I better get into uh, some of the text I want to talk about. But I'll give you another example. Remember Joshua, the high priest? If anyone seemed holy to the people, it was Joshua, the high priest in Zechariah chapter three. But you remember what happened there? Woo, man. He He had clothes on and the clothes were filthy, and the word in Hebrew that's translated filthy there is a word that's used for not just dirt, but it's also used for human excrement. And Satan was there accusing him, right? But guess what? God takes away his sin and clothes, 
puts clothes on him, new clothes, a new robe. And there's a, it becomes a picture that God is the only one that could take away our sins. Amen? Amen. And the only one that could fit us for heaven. And that's very, very important. Now, I want to look at Jacob and how he is a picture of Christmas. How he's a profound picture in several ways of Jesus. In fact, we, the, Jesus would descend from Abraham. We talk about God over and over again. He describes himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob. But you know what? If the birth order wasn't changed, the birthright, I should say, wasn't changed, it would have been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and who? Esau. Because he was the firstborn. And the birthright would go to the firstborn. But God, in his sovereignty, because the operation in his, by his sovereign spirit changes the birth order. Using even the sinfulness of men and the choices that he'll know that they'll make to paint a picture of how Jesus changed our birth order because guess what? We're all descendants of Adam. And Adam was a sinner, right? And as the head of our race, we're born in sin. We're condemned not because of Adam's sin, but because being born in sin, we die, we're with the Lord, but guess what? You reach the day of accountability and you sin against God and you're in rebellion, then you own your sin. And all of us who understand the gospel and understand that we're guilty of sin, recognize we need a second Adam, amen? We need, the, we need the birth order or the birthright to be switched from Adam to Jesus somehow. And now I'm giving you hints as to what this is all about. So it's important that we understand, oh, Jimmy, you're already on it, bro, is when we're looking at verbal prophecy, there's verbal and there's typological prophecy in regard to, G, in, in regard to Jacob and his birth order. Because You'll remember, first of all, before we even get into him taking Esau's birthright, because Esau was the firstborn, understand, even as Jesus had a miraculous birth, Jacob had a miraculous birth. Rachel couldn't have a baby for quite a long time. And, I'm sorry, Rebecca couldn't have a baby for quite a long time. It was 20 years and she wanted to have a baby so bad. And God didn't just give her a baby and open up her womb supernaturally. He gave her twins, two. And then she wasn't taking any of those pills that can help you have more babies, okay? That was just God at work, right? And there was a miraculous birth, even as Jesus was born miraculously. But it's interesting. Esau is also born. Esau comes out all hairy. Jacob's smooth. And you know the root word? Uh, that his name comes from, Esau, speaks of like fully formed, already ready. It's like he was a little man. You ever see kids that are born and they're just weeks old and you're like, he looks like a little man. He was such wise eyes and looks like he knows things. And you know, you've heard that, right? I've seen kids. You're like, how is this kid? He's like five days old. He looks like he's looking through me, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, well, Esau was all like a born as a ready man. And I believe that's because he's a picture of Adam. I mean, he's hairy all over. And it's just going to, he's just going to get more hairy. And they didn't have probably as many sharp razors and as today, he just grew hairy. Now, it's interesting. So we have a miraculous birth, which is really fascinating to me. But we're going to go through some of the text 
but to get through what I want to share with you, I have to skip some things, so I want to say the most important things. But do understand, do you remember the story? Most of you know the story, but for those who don't, and to also just, so we know as believers can be refreshed in our minds, is Jacob and Esau had a war, they had a fight in the womb even. You remember, even though Esau was the firstborn, what was Jacob doing with his heel? He was grabbing it, like he's a, a little war going on. And the Lord said to Rebekah, there's a war going on in your womb. There's two nations there, right? Jacob would represent Israel. His name would later be changed to Israel. This is the big deal, right? And then there was Esau. And his name, by the way, his nickname would become Edom, E-D-O-M. The nation of the Edomites were big enemies against Israel. There's these two nations in her womb fighting. They name him Jacob, which means heel snatcher or supplanter. And it's interesting, this war goes on, but God shares with her that the older Esau will serve the younger. Esau will serve Jacob. And it's not just speaking specifically about the boys as they get older, because Esau is going to be the rough and tough hunter. Uh, Jacob will be kind of more of a mama's boy, you know, you know, in the kitchen with her cooking and so forth. And Jacob is this rugged, you know, mountain man of a guy with hair everywhere, you know, and a mighty hunter and so forth. And God's going to switch the birth order. The older is going to serve the younger. And the younger is going to have the birthright. Now, Rebecca knew this. God spoke to her. Now, we don't know if she tried to share this with Isaac or not, her husband, because Isaac favored Esau and Rebekah favored Jacob. And we don't know because we don't read in the text that she tried to share this with Esau because, you know, when I have premarital counseling or just regular marital counseling, when I talk about communication, I talk about, wow, it would have been really great if they could have communicated about this before all went down, you know, before they got in this big fight because Jacob had a real hard time, I should say Isaac did, when this whole thing surprised him. And sometimes, you know, I think, well, maybe she never tried to share it with him because she thought, how would he react? Or maybe she tried to broach the subject and he did react and he wouldn't hear anything of it and didn't think she was hearing from God. We don't know exactly what went down. But we do know this, is that in line with the prophecy, Jacob was, had some wonderful lentil stew. Anybody have lentil soup ever? It's, it, when it's cooked right, it's so good. And, he, and Esau came back famished wiped out from a long day of hunting. He came back and he's like, give me some of that stew. You know, I'm dying. And, he, and get, what did Jacob say? Sell me your birthright. Give me your birthright. Now the birthright was a double portion. The firstborn son would get twice the inheritance under the law. And that was already prefigured before that where they would get much more. It was threefold blessing. You get a double portion, number one, Number two, there would be a huge celebration for the firstborn receiving the birthright. And number three, you would also become head of the clan, head of your brothers and their, their children and so forth. You'd be the chieftain. That's why it would be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau if he got it. But if it was switched, it would be Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob. And if you can get your brain around this, and that's why I'm ex methodically explaining this to you, because there's something so profound going on here when you start to see it, is... 
what did Esau do? He sold his birthright. So when some of you think, well, he, you know, Jacob stole his birthright. No, he actually traded for it. He actually traded for it. Now, it's interesting because <laughs> when you think about this, uh, there's this thing in Scripture where the first becomes last and the last becomes first. Remember that principle in Scripture? Think about that. That's all over from Genesis to Revelation. The first is last and last is first. The first Adam is Adam, and he blew it. Jesus is called the second Adam, and he's also called the last Adam. Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15, we see he's called the last Adam. He also is called the second Adam, who came to reverse the curse. Esau is the second one born, but he becomes the one who gets the blessing. Are you with me? It's reversed there as a picture of what's going to happen with Jesus with regard to Adam. And thank God that happened with Jesus. Otherwise, we'd all still be under Adam's sin. Amen? But Jesus reversed the curse. Uh, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 44, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first, uh, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, it's really interesting that we have this situation where, and I think it's important that we really try to grasp this, is we see this happen throughout Scripture. Jesus, well, what happened with David? They, they, they chose who? When they had to take their first king, who did they want? They wanted King Saul. David was the youngest of his household. He was even overlooked to be king, right? But he became king. And Saul was the first one, but who? God switched it up. And David was a man after God's own heart. The second one became the king. Amen. Amen. Oh, and Jacob chooses Rachel. But the first one, and instead he gets who? Leah. You see this. The first shall be last and last shall be first. There's this principle that we see uh, throughout scripture, which is really, really profound. Now, it's interesting because... God is doing something that we really need to pay attention to. And go now to Genesis chapter 27. Because this is where the birth, what happened with the switching of the birthright and Esau selling his birthright to Jacob happens a few chapters earlier, right? But guess what? Now we're going to read about when the blessing is received, which is based on the birthright in Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son, he said to her, here I am. He said to him, here I am. Now, I want you to understand this. Some people say, well, it's so unfair. You know, Esau was, you know, somebody said this to me one time. And I, I love the brother, but he's a hunter. He loves to hunt. He goes, why did God do that? You know, Esau, man, Esau's a hunter. He loves to hunt and everything, you know. And uh, the good brother, and uh, who said this a couple years back to me, he goes, well, why would God do that? Give it to Jacob. Yeah, he's a mama's boy, da, 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 you know. Well, there's more going on, I said to him, because guess what? God, Esau was a wicked guy. And so was Jacob. But guess what? Jacob, deep down in his heart, because we're all in the flesh before we come to Christ, amen? 
We all need to be transformed. But Esau was bent on the material world. The Bible says he was a fornicator and is profane. That's the King James there. Profane means outside the temple. That's the English word. The Greek doesn't mean that, but the English word they use, the King James used to translate that's pro, meaning outside. Fane is temple, outside the temple. He wasn't spiritual. In fact, right before we read this, God gives us a very good hint. Look at verse 25. I'm sorry, verse 34 and 35, right before 27 of chapter 26. Chapter 26, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, a pagan, and, and Bezmoth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, verse 35, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. He was marrying pagans. He didn't care about spiritual things. We already knew that because he sold his birthright. Yeah, I'll sell my birthright. Yeah, I'm dying here. I might as well just sell it. He didn't care about being close and right with God. And that's why this, these verses come right before chapter 27. And by the way, listen to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 14, the New Testament commentary by the Holy Spirit. Pursue peace with all men, verse 14, and the holiness or sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. He is a picture of apostasy of turning away from God. So understand that. There's more going on God's choice with Jacob because God knew that he could work in Jacob's heart and pour grace upon him and that Jacob would receive that grace and ultimately be transformed where he'd no longer be called Jacob so much and his name would change to Israel, which means governed by God. Esau didn't want to be governed by God. So with that background now, look at chapter 27, verse 1. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son. And he said to him, here I am. Isaac said, behold, now I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now, now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat it so that my soul may bless you before I die. Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. And I remember God always shared with her that the older would serve the younger. And that's why there's a war in your womb. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for the game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me. As I command you, go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, behold, Esau, my, my brother, is a hairy man. I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me. Because a lot of times the blessing, the father would put his hands. Remember how Jesus took up the children and blessed them and put his hands on them? He's saying, he's going to feel me and know that I'm Jacob. And he says, I'm a hairy man. I'm a smooth man. He's a hairy man. I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me. Then I will be as a deceiver in his sight. And I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, your curse be upon me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. 
Now it's interesting, Jacob's not willing to be cursed. He wants to get the blessing. But Rebecca says, I'll take the curse, right? Well, Rebecca doesn't take the curse. Who does ultimately take the curse? Jesus does, right? Verse 14, so he went and got them and brought them to his mother and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And as she put skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Now this is interesting. I was reading, I was at a Jewish site, an Orthodox Jewish site. I think it was called Kabad.com or whatever. And I was looking at their take on this story a few days ago. And they mentioned, which I thought was interesting, that there's a midrash. A midrash is an, are ancient commentaries of the scripture. And the midrash states uh, that, that the garment that he took, she took from Esau and put on Jacob actually had belonged to Nimrod. And Nimrod, it had been passed down through, from Adam to Nimrod. It was really Adam's garment that Nimrod had. And then they got, then they got a hold of it and so forth. Now, when you, when you read these kinds of things, they're like, this is when you get into a lot of fiction, right? You don't know. You know, maybe, probably not, you know, uh, but it's kind of interesting. And now it's interesting as I'm reading the Jewish site, they have, they're clueless as to this being a picture of Christ. But most Christians, even Christians that do typology and love typology, miss this, what we're going to talk about. But there's something way more profound going on. So she takes this hairy garment from the goats or from his garments. So, because guess what? He smelled, man. Esau smelled like a hunter. He wore these hairy garments and he was already all hairy all over. So she puts these hairy garments on him. So I feel like, well, he wears hairy garments. He, Jacob doesn't wear hairy garments. He's in the house with mama, you know, and so forth. So we read, and she put the skins on the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Verse 17, she also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her, uh, her son Jacob. Then he came to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? He's a little confused. He's probably trying to sound a little bit like Esau, but not pulling it off so well. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord, your God, has caused it to happen to me. Which is kind of interesting, you know, because God isn't a liar but he'll use what people do to his glory in the end. He's using their fallenness to paint a picture that's really profound. He said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not, because he notices that his voice is a little different. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game and I, that I may bless you. And, and he brought it to him and, and he ate and he also brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And then he smelled the smell of his garments as he blessed him and said, see the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth 
and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you. May peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers. Wow, there it is. And may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. There's a lot there, man. We look at those who have cursed Israel. His name's changed to Israel, the nation of Israel. Then what happens is Esau comes with the savory game and, he, and Jacob's like, you know, freaking out because, I should say, Isaac's freaking out because, wait, I already thought I blessed you and so forth. And, and then Esau's in tears because he loves his blessing, but he sold his blessing, right, earlier, but he's still ticked off. And that's what happens, man. We gotta be very, very careful because we think we can sell out God and later everything's gonna be okay. Don't mess with selling. Don't, don't sell yourself out compromising and wonder on the day of judgment why you don't have a birthright. Birthright's only in Christ. You have to be loyal to Jesus, amen? Now, it's interesting here. It's like, well, how is he deceived? Because he's blind. He's very old, you know? And we can all have different types of dysphoria where we're confused as to what God wants in our lives. You know, just the other night, not last night, but the night before last, I woke up and I haven't been getting, <laughs> I don't get a lot of sleep anyway, but my back was all just thrashed and I'm awake. And, and it's like, you know, I, was, I slept in the chair because of the recliner, you know, but the last couple hours I thought I'll go lay down in bed. So like five in the morning or whatever, I'm laying there. And uh, all of a sudden, Lisa's having this terrible dream because she's breathing really, really hard. But then it sounds like she's starting to, and I, it, it hyperventilate a little bit. Like, <sighs> like she's panicking. I'm like, but she hates to be waked, woken up. So the last thing I want to do is wake her up because unless I have to, so maybe she'll get over this dream. Then it's like she's being chased. <laughs> like, and I'm like, oh God, now it's getting really bad. <laughs> so I start to rub her face and her hair, you know, try to wake her up slowly. And then I get a little bit stronger. And then she wakes up. What's up? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. You were, it sounded like you were having a horrible dream, you know, you're breathing really loud, like you're running or something. She's like, but as I'm talking and she's talking back, no, all of a sudden I hear the breathing is going on still. And we never have our dog in our bedroom, but I'm not in the bedroom, right? And, and you know, I didn't want the dog jumping on me in the recliner. So she put one of the dogs in the room and it's on the other side of the bed. When I go in by the wall and she's by the wall in the window and I go, oh no. She goes, yeah, that's the dog. <laughs> I go, oh, I'm so sorry, baby. And she goes, but my dream was weird. She goes, cause the dog was petting me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it got so crazy. I don't even tell you what the dog said, you know. It got really weird, you know. So, but sometimes you just, you know, you, you don't see straight. And whether you're dreaming or, you know, I didn't see straight, she didn't see straight, you know. The dog, I don't know what he saw. But here we see that Isaac doesn't see straight, you know, because he's blind. But he smells like him. He's probably thinking there's no way Jacob would do this, you know. Uh, whatever is going through his mind, he's deceived now, this is really, really heavy because it's now going to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Because now he's going to be in the line of Messiah. And it's quite amazing when you think about how this is such an amazing picture. I'm telling you right now, Esau was literally the firstborn. And who was the first man? Adam. This is what blows me away, is Adam's name, right? We say Adam, and we say Adam means man, which is true. But if you look at the etymology of the name Adam, it comes from the word red, Adama. A-D-A-M-A, -A -A, the Hebrew word Adama. 
And in fact, there's a play on Adam's name and the word for ground. The word ground in Hebrew is Adama over and over again. A-D-A-M-A. In Genesis, when God creates the ground and the, 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 the plants that come out of the ground, the Adama. And Adam, he partakes from the forbidden fruit, right? And then Adam, Adama returns to the, Adam, Adam, Adam returns to the Adama or the ground. Which, by the way, also means red. In fact, it can be translated red ground or red clay. When you're traveling through Israel, it's kind of interesting. We're in the Golan Heights area. There's just all this deep, beautiful red clay you're traveling over. It's really amazing. But uh, the etymology of the word, Adam, is connected to the name of Esau. So what's interesting, and I've done word studies on Adama and Adam and so forth, and uh, even Wikipedia, which isn't to be trusted all the time, but it's interesting, they go into, they go into the, the, the root of the word name Adam as well, and Adama. But it's interesting when you think about it, when we read about, now this is where it gets really heavy, when we read about Esau being born, the firstborn like Adam, his name is Esau, which is from the same root as Adam, and he comes out, and what color is he? He's red. What color is the porridge, the stew, the lentils? It's red. He has red skin. He has red hair. He's all hairy. But the root word of his name means fully formed as well. So scholars are kind of like, hmm, it's interesting. This word can mean like fully formed and also is a root for red. And so it's interesting, the Edomites were named after him because his name was changed to Edom, which comes from, and that's where I'm getting at, that's the word, the name that comes from, not Esau itself. The name uh, Edom has to do with red, the Edomites, because he was red. And the first Adam's name is connected to red, and he's the firstborn. So he comes out like a fully formed man, a baby that looks like a man, (laughs) all hairy and red, because he's a picture of Adam, because Adam was created fully what? Fully formed. Adam, I don't think, was a white guy. I don't think Jesus was whiter than white either. I think he was probably very brown, you know? And in Christ, there's neither red, brown, yellow, black, or white, amen? We're all precious in his sight. We all come from Adam, amen? Amen. Now, this is really heavy when you think about it because he represents the first Adam. And guess what? The first Adam sinned and rebelled against God, amen? Amen. And the curse came upon the human race. And this is what you want to make sure you understand. What was Jacob doing to get the birthright? He had to become like who? He had to become like Adam. Or he had to become like Esau to get the blessing. Are you with me? Jesus had to become like Adam. Amen? Amen? to reverse the curse, to get our blessing because Adam had broken the moral law of God and was under the sin of the penalty of sin as the whole human race is, amen? And in that, we die because of sin and we're connected to Adam. We are Adam in a sense. We're connected to the firstborn of our race, amen? amen? And even as 
Jacob had to get the birthright, and the older would serve the younger, and the younger would take his place. So Jesus Christ, God, to save us, had to become, even as Jacob had to become like Esau, God had to partake of what? Humanity. God is not a man that he should lie, the Bible says. God only became a man, which I sometimes tell you that's a bigger drop than you or me becoming like a cockroach to save cockroaches. Instead of hitting them with a bunch of raid, we say, you know, I'm going to save them. I'm going to become a cockroach to save all these cockroaches. And some say, that's a terrible analogy because it's not that bad. No, it's actually far worse because we would simply be becoming another creature and we were given life. He's the one who is life, is immortal from everlasting to everlasting and he becomes like a creature, a human being to save us. And even as East Jacob had to partake of this hairiness and this, this, this flesh and this, this smell to get the birthright, the filth, Jesus was born into our world and partook of our humanity to get the birthright back that Adam had lost. Are you with me? There is something indeed incredibly profound In fact, in Genesis chapter 25, verse 25, listen to this. It says, and the first came out, that's the firstborn of Rebekah and Isaac, and the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau because he was a picture. This is not an accident. He's a picture of the very first Adam. And there's etymological connection between Adam and Adam. And Adama, as I mentioned, designating red clay. Okay. Uh, Now, are you with me still? I wanted to slow down at this part so you did not miss it. So you understand the connections here are very, very profound. Now, it's very, very interesting because it gets way heavier. (laughs) Way, way heavier. Uh, In fact, we read of Jesus God becoming a man. In Romans 8, 3 and 4, it says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, the law couldn't save us. In Galatians, it says, if God could have given a law that would save us, he would have done it through the law. But the law could never save us. It only showed us our sin. It showed us God's standard. It, shows it was a reflection of who God is, the law. His holiness, his righteousness. And we couldn't meet it for all of sin and come short of the, the law. Amen. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Just like Jacob partook of Esau, but only in picture form. Amen? Amen. Jesus didn't rally. In fact, remember John 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God, right? Everything was made by him and nothing was made but by him. He is God. But in verse 14 in John 1, a few verses later, and the word became what? flesh and dwelt among us. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 and following, it says, let this mind be in you or this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he exists in the very nature of God, they consider equality with God something to be held on to. But he humbled himself, was made in the form of a servant. He took the likeness of a man. Amen? Amen. To die for us. It says even the death on the cross, the worst kind of death. And then he is a name, it says, now He's been given the name above every name because he became the first. He was first. 
He identified with us as becoming the last, the second Adam, the last Adam, so he could become the first, but also win us salvation, amen? amen. Merry Christmas, by the way. That's a big deal. The Bible says we are joint heirs with Christ, amen? He is the creator of all things, and the Bible says that he is the heir of all things. The Bible says if God saved us, how much will, more will he not give us, or will he give us all things, amen? All things, because we're in Christ, saved, and we belong to him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says this, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, since the children, that's us, children of God, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through death were subject to uh, slavery all their lives. He came to set us free from slavery to Satan, from the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin, because we're all connected to Adam, we're all men, we're all fallen. I'm speaking of humanity, mankind. And Jesus became cursed. The Bible says, curse is everyone who hangs upon a tree. Yet Jesus revealed himself, but he also, we call this, you know, we can call it the hiddenness of God if you want to apply that, that, that terminology to this. We sometimes call it the messianic secret, and I don't mean the messianic secret in the liberal sense, but I mean in the sense that Jesus did not fully reveal, ultimately, who he was to everybody at every instance. Why? because he knew he was sent to be crucified. Amen? Amen. At times he told people not even to speak. And those who hardened their hearts, God used that through judicial hardening to bring him to the cross. And many of those same people, like the priest, would later believe he'd fully open their eyes to who he was after the crucifixion. But before, they didn't understand exactly what was going on. Just as Isaac didn't understand what was going on with Jacob. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 2.8, it says, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't understand what was going on. And it's interesting, because the early church fathers speak of how Jesus tricked the devil. <laughs> and they have a ransom theory to where, uh, which is kind of interesting, that they have a, a, a viewpoint that Jesus had tricked uh, the devil. The first church father, which if you want to call him an early church father, I don't think he really is early, it's a little bit later, is uh, Jerome, uh, which he's later in, in, in early Catholicism, but he rejected a lot of what became Catholicism of today. He rejected that Peter was this infallible pope and the rock was built on, the church was built on Christ as the rock. And he also rejected the idea that uh, the extra books the Catholics ended up adding later, you know? But he talks about how, uh, you know, he talks about this scenario a little bit. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus reverses the curse because he's considered by the Jews, what? A sinful man, kind of like Esau was. He's put to death on the cross, but he's perfectly innocent, which is not true of Jacob. Jacob could not take the curse for us. Remember, Rebecca's like, I'll take the curse. Well, she can't take it either. The Bible says, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. That says it in Galatians 3, and it's quoting the Old Testament, and it says Jesus became a curse for us, amen? And it was so we could be set free, so we could be forgiven. He bore the curse. That's something that Jacob didn't do. Jacob had an easy part. He just dressed up. He was just acting out this huge prophetic scenario of redemption, of salvation, that God would become a man and get our birthright back for us, amen? amen? The last would become first and the first would become last. And it is very, very profound. And that's why Jesus is called 
By the way, over and over again, Jesus is called the firstborn. You know that, right? It says we are the church of the firstborn in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 23 through 27. We're the church of the firstborn. It says that he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And it goes on to talk in Romans chapter eight and how he is the firstborn among many brethren. Amen. So Jesus is the firstborn. Now it gets heavier still. We're still unwrapping this present because it's interesting because Jacob is a really powerful picture of Jesus in many ways. After he leaves there, he's no longer mama's boy in the kitchen. He becomes a shepherd. Remember that? And he was quite a good shepherd. Remember that? His interbreeding and everything, bearing all kinds of fruit and laban, tripping out. He's a picture of Jesus, the good shepherd, which is really amazing when you think about it. He gets revelations from the Father, even as Jesus had revelations from the Father. It's interesting as well because uh, he's given dominion over his brethren as Jesus has dominion over his brethren. And also, it's interesting that Jacob was hated by his brother Esau. Remember what happens afterwards? Jake, Esau just wants to kill him. Amen? Well, what did, they want, what did Jesus' brothers want to do with him? The good shepherd. They wanted to kill him. Okay? Uh, Jacob left his home to go to Haran. Right? To get his bride. Jesus left heaven. Amen? to come to earth, to get his bride. Are you with me? <laughs> okay. Uh, he was taken advantage of. We know that. So was Jesus. Okay. Uh, he was brutally treated, Jacob, as was Jesus. Amen. Now, it gets more and more profound. He goes to a far country, but guess what? This is really heavy. How many wives does he end up with that the Bible emphasizes? Two. Think about it now. How many wives did Jesus get? One. Woo, one, but then what? Then what? A first one, but then what? A second one. First he gets, well, now this is where it gets really, really crazy too uh, because he comes to get Rachel. He falls in love with Rachel because of her dazzling beauty. He wants to marry her, Right? And Laban says, you have to work with me for seven, for seven years because he sees that this is a fruitful shepherd and he, you know, he's bearing all kinds of fruit. And at the end of the seven years, he's going to marry Rachel and then he finds out who she is. He's got the veil. He's with her. Night, who knows all what happened, but well, I have an idea of some stuff that happened. But uh, uh, he's, when he sees her in the light, it's who? Leah. It's Leah. And Leah means weak in the eyes, you know. She wasn't as stunning as Rachel. And then he says, you, 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 you cheated me. Well, guess what? Jacob, the man, not the type, is learning, right? Because that's what he did, right, in a way. I mean, he took advantage of his brother's weakness. At least, the very least, he did that when he was hungry. And then he has to work seven more years to get who? Rachel. Amen? And then guess what? Think about this. It's really, really heavy. Rachel becomes incredibly fruitful. I'm sorry. Yeah, fruitful, right? Later. At first, he doesn't want Rachel. He, want, he doesn't want Leah. He wants Rachel. He gets Leah. has to work seven more years. Then he gets Rachel. But Rachel is into these household idols and everything. This is not accidental. This stuff's in the text. 
She's clinging to these idols. And Laban says, who stole my idols? And, but guess what? Leah is the one that becomes fruitful and gives him all these children. Rachel doesn't give him children at first. And she's incredibly jealous of Leah. Right? This is where it gets really heavy. Understanding that background. Then later, Rachel cries out to God, you know, says to Jacob, give me a child or I'll die, which by the way, when, during giving birth one day, she died. Watch what you pray for. But it's interesting. Think about this. Even though he chose Rachel first, she became the last, the second in childbearing. In fact, in Jesus' lineage that leads up to Jesus, the second Adam who Jacob picked, he's in Leah's lineage, not Rachel's. When he's buried, he wants to be buried by Leah, not Rachel. But this is a heavy thing. Rachel, which was his first choice, gets relegated to second in order. And she's clinging to these idols. Yahweh, when he takes Israel, Jacob, as a wife, the first wife, which is typified by who's supposed to be Rachel, he divorces her in Jeremiah 3. Remember that? He clings to the second one, Leah. Rachel is a picture of Israel, the first wife of the Lord that was supposed to be the first wife. Leah is a picture of the church. Now, this is all God's sovereign plan, of course. Now, check it out. Israel was rejected because, read Jeremiah, read the prophets, because of their idolatry, that was their biggest sin. Rachel clings to these idols, right? She gets rejected. Leah becomes the church of the firstborn, the church, Leah. And guess what? Leah's incredibly fruitful, starts having babies left and right, right? What's happened to the church? Israel was chosen to be a light to the Gentiles, but it didn't happen the way it ought to have happened, amen? But they were still a light to a degree, and the Gentiles now become the church along with the Jews, amen? And there's fruit all over the world, hundreds of millions of people claiming to follow Christ. Leah becomes incredibly fruitful, the bride of Christ. We're called the bride of Christ, the church. Ooh, but guess what? Rachel, who was supposed to be the first wife, becomes second, ultimately. Guess what? She becomes incredibly jealous. Do you remember that? If you know the story, Rachel gets really, really jealous of Leah. What does Paul say in Romans 11? Oh, verses 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 through 15 or so. Paul said that God is using the Gentiles, the church, to provoke Rachel or Israel to jealousy because they see the fruitfulness and the life in the body of Christ even as Rachel was jealous. Are you with me still? And then guess what happens? Was God done with Rachel? Was Jacob done with Rachel? Was God done done with Israel? What happens to Rachel? Then she becomes incredibly fruitful. Remember that? And guess what Rachel's a picture of? Rachel is a picture of Israel. Okay? It's really, really mind-boggling. Rachel, like Israel, becomes barren. She is in despair like Israel, right? Leah is bearing fruit. Millions and millions of people come to Christ. Romans 11, 12 or 11, chapter 11, verse 12, now there is transgression. Now if there, I mean Israel's transgression is riches for the world. 
and their failure, the riches of the Gentiles, that's the Leah, the church, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. It is much then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them, for if their rejection is a reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And he says in this passage that he's provoking them to jealousy. Now guess what happens? Leah becomes incredibly fruitful as the church became fruitful, amen? But God turns his gaze back in Romans 11, back to Israel, and all Israel will be saved. Well, what happens in the prophetic scriptures regarding Rachel? She becomes fruitful, right? All of a sudden, she starts having babies, remember? Benjamin and all these children being born to her. Well, listen to what it says in the prophecies in Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren, the one who can't have children, Thou who didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. Then thou didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, said the Lord. And verses five through eight, that's in verse one. For your maker is your husband, and the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall be called. he shall be called. For the Lord hath, has called you, uh, who is the forsaken one, and grieved in spirit, and a wife of his youth, when you refuse, says the Lord, for a small moment have I forsaken you. God forsook Israel for a moment. But with great mercies will I gather you. In a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So Rebecca, who's a picture of Israel, would be rejected for some time, but then she'd become incredibly fruitful. And what happens when Jesus Christ returns? Who will be saved? All Israel. Oh, by the way, how many years will the tribulation, what's the, how long is the 70th work of work? 70th week of Daniel is a time, it's called Jacob's trouble. Rachel was Jacob's trouble. He had a hard time with her. And this last seven years of history, God will be spending seven years bringing Israel back to himself, Amen. Bring her to a point where she finally cries out to God, blessed is you coming in the Lord, then she'll see him who she pierced. Amen? Amen? And she'll be saved. And then people from all the nations and peoples and tongues will be gathered, the Jews, back into the land, even more than are now. Oh, by the way, seven years to get Rachel back. How many years did Jacob have to work to get Rachel? Seven years. Are you with me today? I told you it's a puzzle. And if you only see three or four puzzle pieces out of the 10 I presented, it's going to be, well, what does this mean? But if you unwrap the present with me, as we've been doing, you see the beauty, amen? History is his story, amen? And let that little phrase have more meaning to you because all these are pictures, a picture of world history here, guys. From Adam, right? To Jacob and Esau, to Rachel and Leah, to the history of Israel and the church, amen? To right now. Are you with me? We're unwrapping this gift, and this gift is his story, but it's also your story because you are Rachel or Leah, right? You're the Gentile believers who are trusting Jesus, amen? Or you're Rachel, the Jews. And the beauty is, is God's not a bigamist in heaven, amen? Because in heaven, how many brides are there? There's one bride, Jews and Gentiles, all believers who put their trust in Messiah because these Leah and Rachel are metaphors or pictures of God's people who all become one in New Jerusalem and are called the wife of the Lamb. Amen? Wow. And it's amazing too 
because Jacob receives a new name, Israel. Jesus receives a new name, which no one knows but himself. Amen? Which is quite amazing. He's a deliverer. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. And in Revelation 19, 7 through 9, the bride of Christ at the end is decked out in all kinds of jewels. Amen? And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb, or in the, in, 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 wash their robes that they have a right to the tree of life and enter the holy city. But obviously when you connect, carry to other verses, it's washing it in the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Christ. And in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, he pronounces an amazing, uh, it's a call. The bride, the spirit and the bride say come. Let him that hears say come. Let him that thirsty come and drink of the water life freely. We cry out with Jesus for others to come, amen, to know the Lord and be saved. Now, if you missed some of this, or you're like, wow, this makes a lot of sense, but I missed, what is this? Listen again, okay? Get the message. Keep unwrapping this, because it's so profound. You'll never look at Jacob and Esau again the same way. When you wonder, why does God even put this in here? What's this about? What's going on? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not going to sum everything up, because we only have a couple minutes left here. But I will say this to you. Remember the guy that came into the throne, came into the wedding banquet that Jesus gave us a picture of his wedding? And he came in without wedding garments. He was thrown out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. The Bible says all of our righteousness, the things that we do to try to make ourselves right with God by earning our salvation are like filthy rags before God. Amen. Amen. But praise God, the scriptures are very, very clear. Paul said, in Philippians chapter three, after he talks about how he kept the law in people's eyes at least, and he seemed blameless to people, but guess what? According to law, he was blameless, at least in man's view. He says what? He says, not that I'd be found in my own righteousness, but in righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, amen? He didn't want to be found robed in his own stinky garments. He wanted to be found robed in the righteousness of Christ, amen? Amen. And guess what? If you are in your own stinky garments and you're like, I'm going to just earn my way to heaven because I'm a good guy. No, you stink before God. I'm just being honest with you. I love you. He loves you. But God had to become a man like Esau who took the red man's clothes. Jacob who took the red man's clothes. Jesus took the red man's body. But he was without sin. Lived a perfect life. Died in our place. Because God wasn't going to say, I pronounce you righteous because God is a God who is real and we really need to be forgiven and payment needs to be made because without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there's no forgiveness of sins. The payment, someone has to die. <laughs> and God is the only one who could die in our place by becoming a man to save all of us, amen? And that's why Jesus died on the cross. For the Bible says all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wage of sin is, is death, amen? But the gift of, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now why are you messing around, man? This life is very, very short. Why would you mess it around being like Esau chasing after fornication, chasing after things of this world and then sell your birthright? Get serious with your life and make sure your robes are washed in the blood of Christ, amen? Make sure your heart's right with God when you say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I don't want to be found in my own righteousness because I'll stink to high heaven. I want to be found robed in the righteousness of Christ, forgiven because Jesus died for me. And because he's had grace upon me, because I'm putting my trust in him. I've turned from a life of rebellion against him, and I've embraced Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. 
You need to unwrap the gift. The gift is the gift of salvation. Some of you may get a new robe tomorrow for Christmas. But guess what? Every one of you can have a new robe today. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son cleanses us from all sins. Amen? Let's make sure our, white, our, our robes are white. Amen? And he says, though our sins are as scarlet, he shall make them white as snow. Amen? White like wool. But that only comes when you have a sincere heart. You say, God, have mercy on me. I want to put my trust in you. You're first in my life now, Lord. You're the one I put my trust in. I'm not going to sell my life out for some material things that will perish and I can't have forever anyway because I'm going to be in outer darkness separated from you. Why would I do something so foolish? I'm going to say no to that because that's a lie and I want to weep bitterly like Esau did who sold his birthright, but I want to rejoice forever recognizing that my God is so good. He went through all the pain to save me. I simply need to turn to him and embrace the reality of salvation which comes through faith in him. Amen? Amen. So let's make sure we do that. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior yet, Now's the day, amen. amen. Have the most wonderful Christmas you could possibly have. Amen. Father God, I pray for everybody here who doesn't know Jesus, that they'd recognize that you love them so much. For your son said, Jesus said that, you so love the world that you gave your only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life and that you did not send him into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him may be saved, Father. May they embrace Jesus now before it's too late and put their faith in him and repent and turn from darkness and embrace Jesus, the light of the world, and receive forgiveness of sins. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' holy name. What an awesome God we have. Can we all please stand?